You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Every time I hear that sound, it makes it feel eerie to me. Does it to you too? I mean, I guess that's what happens when you're in the bottom of the ocean and you hear noises that make, makes you know there's something greater than you that's around. Uh, but it definitely feels pretty eerie. And if you're just wondering if our team of volunteers and staff went all out to make it look like the beach, remember Panama City? This is what we see in Panama City. And Nineveh at the same time. Like, they did not. This is for our VBS operation or destination dig. And so uh, we're going to be praying for our volunteers at the end of our service here. Uh, I don't want to see any of you volunteers trying to skirt out to avoid uh, being up here to be prayed over. But I want you to be prepared to do that. And uh, this is going to key right into where we are in the book of Jonah. And so if you would turn in your Bibles there. We are going to cover chapter 2, basically starting in verse 17 of chapter 1. And uh, it's going to be a... A good day for us, I think, as we look to see how we are saved by mercy to be merciful. We are saved by mercy to be merciful. And I think that that's something you could just let fly right by you and not even really think about it too much as one who is a Christian who has been saved by grace and mercy. We uh, oftentimes feel like we understand what that means. And mercy is, by definition, biblically, it is unmerited favor towards someone. And we know that as Christians, we have received God's unmerited favor towards us. In other words, we cannot earn God's mercy, His grace, His kindness, His steadfast love. But He has given it to us anyway, and that's why it's called mercy. We deserve to be put out of fellowship with God, and our sin leads us in that daily. But instead, God has decided to love us and pour out His mercy and grace upon us not because we have earned it or will ever earn it or do enough to, to make the scales go in our favor, but because he is gracious and kind. And instead of pouring out his wrath on us, he chose to pour out his wrath on his one and only son who lived our life perfectly that we should have lived and died a death for us on the cross so that we could be brought into his family of grace. And that's the kind of God we serve. It's the kind of God that Jonah served, although Jonah forgot about some of that for a while. In fact, we think he's going to find it here in chapter 2, and he does to a level, but then we see it's not as far as he thought it was. It's not as far as we hoped it would be. But I think we can learn a lot today about this mercy that we see exhibited in God through Jonah for us. Because if we would live lives of mercy towards one another, in the faith family, in the community, in our homes, in our own blood families... If we live lives of mercy that exhibit the type of mercy we receive from God, this world would be a different place. In fact, that's what Jesus says is the way people would know us, that they will know you are mine because of your love for one another. And so I hope that today we'll be spurred in that love to show that mercy because we've been saved by great mercy. Let's look at the text, if you would, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 is where we will pick it up. And uh, we're just recounting a little bit of the past here. Jonah was told to arise and go to Nineveh. Instead, Jonah chose to arise and run the opposite way to Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa and he got on a ship. And he went down to Joppa, down into the ship, and then went down further into the ship to take a nap while this great storm was hurled at them by the Lord. And as the sailors were flipping out about that and hurling stuff into the sea to lighten the ship, 
Jonah was asleep underneath it all. And then the boat captain came and echoed the same words as God to Jonah. And he said, arise, get up. Basically, don't you care that we're perishing? And so Jonah arose, went up top, and they cast lots to see who was at the source of this big tempest that God had brought upon them after they'd been praying to their own gods with little g's. And it fell on, the lot fell on Jonah. And as Jonah saw that happen, he then confessed to them that he was running from the Lord, that he was running from the face of the Lord. And uh, they got really mad and asked why in the world he would bring that upon them. And he said, well, if you want it to stop, it's my fault. Throw me into the sea. And they still tried to show mercy even then because they began to try to row to shore to put him off the boat, but they could not get anywhere. And finally, they asked God for mercy, and they threw him into the sea, and then everything stopped immediately, bringing to our minds and attention the moment where Jesus quieted the sea in the storm for the disciples. And in that moment, we see the response of those sailors who had truly began to see that Yahweh is the one true God, that they made vows to him and worshiped him. So as Jonah was trying to run away from Nineveh, this great mighty city of terror, because he didn't think they deserved God's mercy. And he knows God well enough as one of God's prophets to know that if he goes there, God's going to give mercy if they repent. But instead of him doing that, he ran away to keep from giving mercy to the pagans. And God led him right into a place where he brought mercy to the pagans by bringing them the one true God. And what a sovereignly glorious God that we serve. And we start off not much different today in God's sovereignty again. Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. We'll read all the way through verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let me pray for us. God, would you lead us this morning through your word? Would you change us in any way necessary to make us more into the reflection of Jesus Christ, your son, that we were made for that should change us. But Lord, we need your help by your spirit to convict us of our sin to give us the mercy and grace we need and the power to change because, Lord, we need you. Every moment we need you. Help us, Lord, this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
let's unpack it for just a minute about a few key things, and then we'll come back and see how it applies to us. I just want to pull out a few things real quick. Uh, Number one, I want you to understand the sovereignty of God is in front and center, even in the midst of Jonah's darkest moments. And God's sovereignty is front and center and always at play, even in the midst of our darkest moments. Look back at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Nobody could survive that apart from God's sovereign hand on them. And this fish was appointed, the narrator tells us, by God to do this very thing. Then in verse 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Notice that's the first time Jonah prayed to God. God's been speaking to him directly and then through others. And the pagans even started praying to God. But Jonah's first time praying is when he's at the depths of despair at the last moments hanging on to dear life. It says that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. That's the belly of death I cried. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Look who's, it, who's, look who's doing that. Do you remember who did it in the story last week? It was actually the pagans that threw him into the sea. But here Jonah is recounting it under God's sovereign hand when he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Do you see Jonah's recollection of God's sovereignty? It says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. And that's a a prayer language we see throughout the Old Testament. To look upon his holy temple is to turn in praying to him. It says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were trapped were wrapped around my head, about my head, at the roots of the mountains, or at the base of the mountains, the beginning of the sea. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That's language of death coming in to take him in and to enclose him there. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Here it is again, his sovereignty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, much like the pagans have begun sacrificing in their thankfulness. He says, what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is not of our doing. It is not of our ability, but of the Lord that salvation belongs. And then he says, the Lord spoke to the fish. Again, his sovereignty over this giant fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. He could have just said, spit him out, placed him, threw him out, but he used some pretty significant language here, I think, when he said, vomited him out, showing disgust for what had been and what he's called Jonah to do. You must know if you come out of the middle of a fish of any kind, whale or not, it's not going to be pretty, right? I went fishing the other day with my kids at the slough down the street from us, and uh, I think they caught five fish that we caught, and one snapping turtle that got off the hook on its own. Thank you, Lord. And uh, I can tell you that it did not smell good for the rest of the evening until we got showered and cleaned up. You know what I mean? It was just, just little fish, little brim. But even in that, it was showing some, I think, here, when he says he was vomited out of a fish on the dry land, shows the disgust of what he's been through. Yet God's mercy 
delivered him. It's God's mercy. Not because Jonah deserved it, not because Jonah asked for it. In fact, he went willingly into the sea. But even in the midst of our darkest moments, God's sovereign directing of our lives is for our salvation and ultimately for our joy. Even here for Jonah. To direct him back on the path where he would find ultimate joy if he would lean into the Lord. Sinclair Ferguson says this about it. His sin had cast him down to the roots of the mountains I sank down, it says. But God brought him up. It says, you brought me up. I brought up my life from the pit. His sin had cast him out. I am driven away from your sight, he says, but God brought him in. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. You see, God loves us way too much to leave us to our own sinful devices. One commentator said that no human heart will learn its sinfulness and impotence by being told it is sinful. It will have to be shown often in brutal experience. I don't know about you, but most of the time I don't think too much, right? maybe I think too much of, I don't think enough of my depravity, my sinfulness. But God reveals it in the lowliest of times. And that is grace and mercy in and of itself. Peter Craigie writes that when we reject and disobey God as Jonah did, it takes radical treatment if it is to be remedied. He points out that the text has been depicting Jonah as descending, going down to Joppa, down into a ship, down into the depths of the ship. And now finally, he goes even further down into the very depths of the ocean. But not until he was all the way down, finally stripped of his own buoyant self-sufficiency, was deliverance possible. There was a fatal flaw in Jonah's character, and it had lain hidden from him as long as his life was going well. It was only through complete failure that he could begin to see it and change it. Another guy said it like this, it's only when you reach the very bottom when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you are finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. As is often said, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Or as Jesus said in Matthew 10.39, you must lose your life to find your life. Maybe our church is going through a moment of refining. Maybe you personally have been going through a moment of being refined. Maybe it's so that we can become more dependent upon God because that's often what he does to his children. No matter if it's someone's fault or not, whenever we go through moments of being refined, it's often to make us more dependent on him because that's what he wants. Not just dependence, he wants face-to-face relationship with us. And the times where we truly walk in that is when we recognize that we are in our greatest moments of need. I don't know about you, but I often think I'm doing pretty well in my walk with the Lord, but I really stay face-to-face with Him in moments that are difficult. Maybe God wants us to depend on Him instead of depending on our history or our name or our numbers or our resources. Maybe he wants us to be face-to-face with him. You see it all throughout here because it talks about how Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. It's actually ran from the face of the Lord. Maybe he wants us back face-to-face in a way that will change us. God has a long history of using his people in some of the most amazing and grandiose ways after he has brought them to a place where it is obvious to the world around them that it can only have been because of God that such great things could be accomplished. 
It never fails, right? If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, that when people think you've done something great, you usually recognize that those are the moments where you felt like you fumbled it the most. And yet God uses it anyway and makes much of his self and brings others to understand his mercy. Here, for Jonah, it's not simply being at the bottom that begins to change Jonah, but it's his prayer at the bottom. It's that he's driven to prayer. Finally, he turns face to face with God. Not that he had to run far. God is with us everywhere. He's all places at once in his omnipresence. But he turned face to face with God and began to speak back to him. Listen, God never brings his people to their knees just to make them lowly. He always brings his children to their knees so that he might redeem them and restore them so that he might use them in mighty ways for his glory. And that's what he's going to do to Jonah right here. Hopefully that's what he'll do with us for the rest of our lives. If this is what it takes, whatever you're going through, whatever we've been going through, if this is what it takes for God to use this faith family or to use your family or to use you as an individual or me as an individual to reach the thousands of lost people in Etowah County and to make much of the name of God wherever we go in the name of his son Jesus, then yes, Lord, and amen. He never promises things to be easy, but he does promise that he will get the glory. Look at this, read verses 1 through 5 again. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Go on. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. You see, even though Jonah runs from God, God hears his prayer for redemption and restoration. You cannot escape the presence of God. And whenever you turn to Him, asking for His glorious presence and grace in your life, when you are at your lowliest, when you have been brought to your knees at any level, He is there and He hears your prayers. It was a miracle of mercy that God brought Jonah to even the point of prayer that he's in now. For Jonah was set against him all the way through, even to the point of being thrown off the ship. He even said, I know this will stop it. Throw me in the water. And when they went to throw him in, he thought it was over. This is actually not after. But remember this. This is not him praying this when he's on the dry land. This is him praying this when he was all the way to the bottom. And the sea had taken him over. And God sent the fish to swallow him up. And in the belly of the fish, he's praying these things. His salvation moment, it is part of salvation for him, is actually in the fish. It's not like it's over. He doesn't know where it's going to land. But he's recognizing that God has heard his prayer. God might be performing a miracle of mercy in your life by bringing you to the point of prayer like this as well. I don't know what all of you are going through. But if he is doing that, you can be sure that he will hear your prayer. Psalm 18 says... 
Verse 3, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Psalm 130, verses 1 through 3. Out of the depths, I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Jonah was fighting to flee from the face of God, but God loved him too much to let him run forever. God might sometimes allow us to walk away from him, even run hard like Jonah, so that he can bring us to our knees because he loves us and wants to show us his mercy toward us, even in our sinfulness. In such moments, God answers us in mercy in order to make us merciful. You see, God always has multiple reasons for everything that he does. And we oftentimes believe some reason, we believe it terminates on us. But God never does a good work in you that he doesn't intend for you to then to turn around and to use that in your way of serving others. It's an ongoing process of working in us to then use us in order for us to enjoy him and walk in the fullness of that joy. The question might be today, are you, are we, am I withholding grace and mercy or forgiveness from someone right now? Are any of us walking in such a way that we have resolved in our heart that it's okay not to extend that? If that's the case, maybe we've not been overwhelmed with our own sinfulness and drastic need for a Savior. If we are really able to say that we have an inkling of the depths of our depravity from which we have been saved, then how can we withhold such mercy and grace from anyone else? No matter their choices, no matter their level of guilt. God loves to show mercy, and as we become more like him, we will love to do the same. It's not easy, right? Micah 6.8 I had the privilege of using this text recently in a moment of overwhelming difficulty and hard. There's no words for it even for one of our faith family. As it pointed to someone that we love, it points even more to God for us. And it says in Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, and that's the same words here, to love mercy, steadfast love and mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Or as Matthew 5, 7, as Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So let us then beware of something. Let us beware of the sneaky sin of self-righteousness that creeps in upon our hearts, which can rob us of our joy in the Lord. Maybe this is not a problem for you. But just in case it is, or just in case you need to learn it so you can help someone else, let's hover just a moment in a place where we've touched on the last couple of weeks even, but let's just hear it again, maybe a little differently. Maybe we should ask the Lord to let us not become a people who fall into the same trap of paying regard to vain idols instead of placing our hope in God's steadfast love and mercy. Even Jonah misses his own self-righteousness here, seeing idolatry only in others. Look at it in verse 8 and 9. Verse, start in verse 7. 
When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols, to worshiping something other than you, Father, other than you, Almighty God, those who pay regard to those vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah seems to have arrived in his recognizing that the only hope is in the Lord and in his mercy. But we see later on that we're going to hit, you know, spoiler alert, Jonah's not quite there yet. And I think the same could be said for most of us. Let us not fall into those same vain traps. Here's a couple of examples. Our righteousness, our righteous past, cannot overcome our sinful present. Just because you've done really well in some things doesn't mean that that makes you okay in the present, just because of whatever you're doing. Our righteous past cannot overcome our sinful present, but God can in His mercy. Praise the Lord. Or maybe we think we can fix a certain situation that we're residing in if we do enough work, if we pray hard enough, if we strive hard enough that we can make things right at every level in whatever situation we find ourselves. But I'm here to tell you that we cannot fix every situation we are in. But you know who can? God can. And He does it most times upon the prayers of the saints. Even prayers of broken people like Jonah here. Do you realize almost everybody in the Scriptures except for Jesus was majorly broken in some way and made horrible, horrible mistakes. If you don't know that, just go back and read any of them. See what they participated in, what they've done, the choices they've made. God can work in us and through us no matter what we have done in the past, but let us not lean into those vain gods, little g, of self-righteousness from the past. The answer, like Jonah goes to, is always that salvation belongs to the Lord and keeping ourselves in that will keep us in the right place. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, in verse 9, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord, not in vain idols. When we look upon others in self-righteousness, we are minimizing the infinite cost of God's grace toward us sinners. Do you recognize that? When I look upon others and I think about how horrible they're acting and how much they deserve whatever comes to them, when I look upon others and say to myself, man, they need to get right with the Lord, how dare they? What I'm doing is I am minimizing the cost of God's infinite mercy and grace towards even me. Because I'm not recognizing the, the infinite glory of the sacrifice that was paid for the immensity of my sinfulness. I'm not recognizing that I am one who should be pitied. That I am one who should be looked at in those ways. And instead, God looked at me with mercy and grace. And His own Son, when I was nailing Him to the cross in my sin, looked at me and said, Father, forgive Him for He knows not what He does. So let us not minimize the infinite cost of God's grace in Jesus. The one who deserves all glory and all praise. Let us not minimize that by walking in self-righteousness as we look at others. But let us have eyes to see that we are all wrecked and ruined apart from Jesus. And we all need help and mercy. And let us be vessels of that mercy to one another. Let us recognize how great we've been saved by the mercy of God and how we are to be merciful in response to it. This is the way. The way of the Lord for us. You know, Isaiah 
was supposed to go and denounce his people's sin. But before he could do that, God put him in the right place for it by showing himself to Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we see the result of that was that Isaiah looked at him high and lifted up and he immediately saw his own sin and not just the sin of his people. I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, I am ruined. I'm coming undone. This is where we must start and where we must reside. And the more we are face-to-face with him, the easier that becomes. All by grace. Here's the question for Jonah and the question for us. Do we pity Nineveh? If not, then we are blind to the deep depravity of our own hearts. Put anybody or any group or anything into that line where Nineveh rests. Do you pity them the way the Lord has pitied us? With love and mercy and grace. If not, then let us awake, O sleepers, and arise from the dead so that the glory of Christ might shine upon us so that we will see the grandeur of our Savior and our own need for purification will sicken our souls to the point of confession that we might walk humbly before the Lord in the way that we go about His business, which is to seek and to save the lost. To seek restoration and redemption. Then we can begin to be ministers of mercy because we know we've been shown much mercy. And like Jonah, we need to stop being satisfied with the knowledge of the truth, just knowing the truth, and start praying and yearning for the knowledge of the power of God's truth, this experience of the power of God's truth. For there is a distinction. We can know much about a thing and not experience the thing. We can write beautiful songs about love and not truly know what love is. We can, we can experience great knowledge in our minds about a thing and not ever truly walk in relationship to the individual for whom it is about or about whom it is written. Let that not be us. For the sake of God's glory and for His kingdom in Etowah County, we need to know the power of the truth of God's mercy and grace in Jesus. Listen to Job. You would think Job, Job a righteous man, knew it. He's called righteous. He knew the Lord and this power of the Lord is walking with the Lord. But look what he says in Job 42, 2 through 6. I'll skip a couple of verses in the middle. Verse 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's a man the Lord calls righteous. We might have thought we understood God's mercy and grace as His church, but oh how we now know our great need for that mercy and grace to be given to us in overwhelming supply. Amen? If not amen, we need to seek the Lord some more together. I don't think I recognize often how much my pride and self-sufficiency actually separates me from the infinite joy I can have in Jesus. If you're not walking in joy, I don't mean because of a moment, because of a season that's difficult or because of a tragedy. I don't, I don't mean that you should just be happy. But I mean this deep underlying joy in Jesus that carries us through this peace of the Lord that brings us back to joy as we begin to come out of that cloudiness. Not that we get over things, but that God brings us through them. And because of that fullness of joy, 
we can then be used by God to make much of Jesus, humbled by Jesus' sacrifice. And we are most humbled by his sacrifice when we realize the greatness of our own sin that put him on the cross. And the more disgusting our sin seems, the sweeter our Savior's salvation tastes. And the more mercy we show the undeserving. God gives us mercy to make us merciful. And God's gift of mercy towards us has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ the Righteous. The merciful. You see, Jonah's expression of grief here finds its ultimate echo in Christ's Christ's cry from the cross. That's how one commentator put it so eloquently and succinct. But Jesus' words are even greater. In Mark 15, 33 and 34, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, even in our darkest moments of grief and despair, we have a Savior who suffered He suffered for us so that we never have to suffer alone. And he knows exactly what it feels like to suffer and grieve and to feel abandoned. Jonah grieved because of the results of his own sinful rebellion. But Jesus suffered and grieved in our place on the cross because of our sinful rebellion. Jesus is the greater Jonah, don't we see? Jonah cried out from the depths of despair at the bottom of the sea, and he was swallowed up by God's salvation and mercy in the fish. But Jesus cried out from the depths of despair on the cross, and he was swallowed up by death so that we might receive God's salvation and mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Jonah was thrown into certain death in the sea as he ran from the Lord. Jesus willfully stepped to death on the cross. Jesus willfully stepped into death on the cross as he ran to the Lord in obedience. Jonah entered his watery grave but did not remain there. And three days later, God saved him from that destruction and delivered him out of the fish. Jesus entered the tomb, but death could not hold him. And after three days, under his own power over Satan's sin, death, and hell, he rose from the grave, defeating Satan's sin, death, and hell on our behalf. What a glorious Savior we have. The greater Jonah. What a mighty God we serve who shows mercy instead of judgment, who gives grace instead of death. Brothers and sisters, we've been saved by God's great mercy to be merciful. So I want us to ponder for a moment and enter into a season of seeking the Lord and seeking ways we can show God's mercy to the world around us. Today, as we conclude, I want to give you four things I want you to commit to, prayerfully commit to this summer, that as a church I want us to endeavor in. And some of these you might already do abundantly, over and above, beyond what you believe the Lord has even asked of you. Some of them, I imagine most of us would find at least one that we could do more of, if not more. And I'm not asking for you to put the farm up on it. I'm asking you to go to the Lord and to seek Him about each of these four steps. I'm not asking you to be guilted into doing anything or saying anything or serving in any way because of what I say today. I'm asking you to go to the Lord and ask Him what He wants you to do. And then to do what I ever only always want us all to do, which is to be obedient immediately as the angels are in heaven at the command of the Lord. So here are these four things I'm asking all of us to commit to over the summer. 
One, pray and fast for our faith family and for our community. I'm not saying fast for the entire summer. But I'm saying enter into moments or seasons of fasting as we pray continually for our faith family and for our community. For that is where we see God's mercy meeting our needs, is when we're brought to our knees face-to-face with the Lord. So let us pray and fast for our faith family and for our community. Number two, let us volunteer to serve our church and the community in a time when we need many more volunteers. You may not be aware of this, so I'm bringing it to our attention. There's these little cards in front of you called Put Me In Coach. Okay. This is a card you can let us know. You can call us. You can text us. You can email us. But we have a lot of need for volunteers. We've got a lot of people volunteering. We need some more. And here's what I would like to tell you. One, I'm asking you to commit to volunteering for a season, even if it's not your preferred area of volunteering. So yes, I'm asking you to do crazy things to step out of your comfort zone and to do something that you may not otherwise do of your own volition, but now you ask the Lord, where do you want me to serve? Or even on top of that, until he answers you, you jump in and serve somewhere where there's a need. Not forever, but just for a season. I can tell you that before I had children, and even now, I hesitate to volunteer with children because I get overwhelmed thinking about doing that. But we have great need right now in our children's ministry. And if you just decided to volunteer for the next six months, for the next six months, I'm going to take this off, turn this on. If you, were to, if you were to volunteer over the next six months, once a month for two hours at a time, and we had, say, eight or nine people do that, it would change our volunteer situation with our children's ministry. And we have a great need for volunteers. We promise not to hold you to that forever. Unless the Lord tells you to. So pray and fast. Volunteer to serve. Third, give faithfully and regularly. You, you don't, if you've ever been around us before, if you're tuning in for the first time, you go back and listen. This is not a normal ask that I make. I, I, I trust that people will be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading. About once a year I do a series or a couple of sermons on giving. But I'm not asking you to give any more than you're giving if you're faithful in that. But I am asking you to step into that role if you haven't been and to be faithful and regular in your giving. That is what we are called to do as Christians is to give to the ministries of God out of everything, our time, our talent, our treasure. And so I'm asking you to consider doing that. I know that sometimes we withhold that for certain reasons or we give it other places, but one of the first places we can give it to is through our church, to all the ministries that goes from here around the world and also used in our own community. And now's the time where we need that to be done faithfully and regularly. And so I'm talking to probably like one person that might need that message from the Lord. But if that's you, let us be obedient. So pray and fast, volunteer to serve, give faithfully and regularly. And fourth, here's a big one. You ready? Do I have to get Hulk Hogan? Are you ready? Okay. Go to the lost and the wayward. Thankfully, the Lord never gave up on us Amen? 
at the risk of talking too much about self, I'll say that I went through a long season, most of you know, of rebellion and running hard from the Lord. Through substances, through relationships, for years. And only after I came through that and the Lord saved me did I begin to hear the stories as I met people I haven't seen in years who said, man, I've been praying for you for a long time. And some of them had the opportunities and the desire to be obedient to come, go after me. May the Lord put in our hearts to be obedient and to go to the lost to the wayward with God's message of mercy, for he has been so merciful to us. And when it's hard, take a breath, lean on a brother or sister in your small group, and then let us get back out there, rub some dirt on it, and go again. Let us be merciful as much as we have received God's mercy. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.